Hey, for those of you who are new, maybe haven't met me yet, my name's Chris, uh, one of the leaders here at West Village. Uh, we are going to jump into the Bible tonight, and um, really what I want to do is answer one question, which is, uh, why does all this matter? Like, why does Christmas matter? So go to Luke chapter 2, and as you go there, um, I recognize a couple of things. Uh, I look at all these kids, and they're like squirming. Well, not all. There's some well-behaved ones, but uh, for the rest of them, like mine, <laughs> squirming around here. So kids, I've got, my daughter asked me to share um, some corny Christmas dad jokes. So I got some for you here, okay? So kids, listen up. Okay, here we go. Um, I apologize in advance. All right. First one, here we go. What kind of motorcycle does Santa drive? A Holly Davidson. Yeah. <laughs> See what I did there? Um, okay, why, why are Christmas trees so bad at knitting? They always drop their needles. Okay, now this one here is my personal favorite, um, and I use that term favorite very loosely, very loosely. What is the difference between the Christmas alphabet and the regular alphabet? The Christmas alphabet has no L. Get it? No L, no L, no L. Ah, uh, gosh. Okay, one more, one more, one more. Uh, and I didn't make any of these up. Uh, what did the gingerbread man put on his bed to keep himself warm at night? A cookie sheet. Oh, oh, my heart. Um, okay, let's get serious now for a few minutes. Um, why does all this matter? Why, why all the festivities? I mean, if you just take a step back for half a second and, and ask yourself, um, if I didn't grow up in Western culture on planet Earth and experience the uniqueness that is the six, eight, ten weeks, whatever it is, of Christmas season, the way that it is celebrated uh, by us, wouldn't, if that, if that was the case, you had no context from which to understand uh, all that we do, wouldn't you think it's kind of strange? Uh, we, we tend to do strange things around Christmas. Uh, we hang lights uh, on our on our house. That's unusual. We put fake trees in our living room. Very unusual. Um, we put blow up, you know, animals on our front lawn. Unusual. These are weird things. Doesn't make a lot of sense. So culturally, there's all this tradition. There's this sentimentality around the Christmas season. And it doesn't really seem to like make any sense as far as our everyday life goes. Now, the same thing can be true, though, of the way that we talk about or celebrate or experience Christmas inside the church. Uh, when it comes to the way that we celebrate Christmas inside the church, it can also be very traditional, very sentimental. We have uh, songs that we love to sing. Uh, we have things that we love to do that are a part of our cultural rhythms. In fact, many of you are maybe are here out of tradition. You're here because this is what you are supposed to do at the Christmas season. You're supposed to go to a Christmas Eve service, right? And so there's this sense of tradition. There's this sense in which uh, the, the reality of Christmas, the, the experience of Christmas, whether it's cultural, whether it's religious or spiritual or church-oriented or whatever the case is, it seems completely removed from my reality, from my experience as a person who lives every single day. 
I mean, for many of us who participate in various Christmas traditions, really all that is happening is we're doing things out of a sense of obligation. In fact, for some of you, you might be here out of a sense of obligation. You're here because uh, my wife is more happy when I come uh, to church on Christmas Eve. Or my grandma is more happy. Or my parents said they wouldn't give me my presents if I didn't come. So I came. That's why I'm here. But it doesn't really land. I don't really understand why. And, and my point in saying all this is that it, it's possible, conceivable, that Christmas has really been reduced to tradition and sentimentality. Nothing more. Nothing more. And I think on some level, we have to acknowledge that there is a reality that the underlying, I was going to say subversive, but I don't think it's subversive. I actually think it's overt message that we get bombarded with around this season is that if we have the perfect Christmas, that somehow this can cure what ails us. And so we get pitched this narrative that says, if we can have the quintessential Christmas moment, 24 hours of Christmas awesomeness, where the family's all together, where the kids come home for the holidays, where everyone's in the same house at the same time, and the fireplace is roaring, and we have uh, the perfect family dinner where the turkey's not undercooked, it's not overcooked, it's perfectly cooked, and it really just appears on the table magically out of thin air. Nobody even had to do any work. You bought the perfect presents for every single person. And your kids, especially if they're little, they open the presents. They don't tear through them. They're not fighting over who gets to go first. But they open them one at a time in order. And then afterwards, they, you know, they just neatly take the paper and unwrap it and fold it. And they look at their gift. And they're in awe of your grace and your kindness as you purchased for them the perfect gift. And everyone's wearing, uh, wearing matching sweaters. And it's just the perfect moment. It's the perfect moment. And we laugh, but just for a second, thought experiment. If I was to ask just about every person, how are you doing this time of the year? The answer is, I'm exhausted. Why? Because I have to go shopping and there's millions of people at the mall because I'm I'm, I'm trying to figure out how to buy the perfect gift for that person. I'm going in, you know, you're going into debt to buy presents. I'm, I'm consumed with this season. What are we striving for? What are we in pursuit of? What are we after? Why are we so exhausted? Why is our culture so exhausted this time of year? Because we are after that moment. We're living for that moment. But there's a reality that we have to acknowledge and face. And it's a a harsh one, but it's that that moment doesn't exist. It's elusive. You're never going to find it. The kids are going to come home. Everything's going to be done just right. And yet, we're going to wake up after Christmas and still be the same. Nothing will be different other than there'll be more garbage in the garbage can, more debt on the credit card, and more stuff that we got to figure out where to store in our already overcrowded houses. And there's this brokenness that is alive and well inside the human heart 
whereby we look at Christmas, whether it's from a religious perspective or a cultural perspective, and we say, that doesn't match up with my life. It seems so disconnected from my reality. So what do we do? Well, I think this is where the Christmas story, as is told in the Bible, through the lens of the gospel, has something to say to us, where it moves from mere tradition and sentimentality and speaks directly into the human experience. So forget for a second what you think you know about the Christmas story, because so many of us, we think we know the Christmas story, especially if you grew up in church, you know the Christmas story, right? There's a virgin Mary, there's uh, some sheep, uh, there's angels, there's shepherds, there's, a, there's an innkeeper and a manger. And we know the facts. We know the events. We can describe them, right? We have the nativity scene uh, in our living room that we put up because why? Well, that's just what we do. So we do. So we know about the Christmas story, but we don't know the Christmas story. We don't know, and what I say know, what I mean is we don't, we, we don't experience the reality of the Christmas story in our hearts, but I think when we, when we understand what is actually happening beyond mere fact, what happens is that story now has the power to transform and change our lives. And so the Christmas story is painting this picture for us whereby we see this reality of a God who made us, who knows us, who loves us, and who enters in to humankind to make himself known to us where we can actually experience him, where we can actually have relationship with him. Ultimately, what we see in the Christmas story is not just a baby, not just a random historical event, but we actually see the God of the universe taking on flesh, becoming like one of us. Uh, There's this beautiful picture of a God who looks at humanity and sees the brokenness. He sees us in radical pursuit of these experiences that will numb the pain of the human experience, just like Christmas is. He he sees us at our worst possible moment, and he doesn't say, I'm going to leave you there. He actually enters into the brokenness. He looks down from heaven on earth and sees all the darkness, and he comes in. Uh, Jesus, when describing what God is like, when he's, he's giving us a picture of what God is like, he often uses the image of a father. But he's not an unloving father. He's not the kind of father who stands at the top of the stairs and yells down into the basement to his kids just to knock it off. He's the kind of dad who actually walks down the stairs and sits with his children in their worst place, in their darkest moment, and walks with them through their brokenness. And again, I don't know, on a night like tonight, there's all kinds of people who wander in here, right? There's people who are here out of obligation. There's people who are here because this is what they do. There's, there's people who are here because uh, this is the church, uh, this is the church that you are a part of and you, and you want to be here. But, you know, our view of God, regardless of what it is, on some level, all of us have a picture of God that probably looks something like what I described as like an, an absentee landlord, God's out there somewhere in the distance and he shows up on the first of the month whenever rent is due. He's not really interested in me. He's not really concerned about me. He doesn't really want to get to know me. He just wants to get something from me. And the beautiful reality of the Christmas story is 
that we are being told, we, God is showing us that he's nothing like that. That he does love us, that he does care about us, that he is interested in us, that he wants to have relationship with us. Uh, we get this picture of, of Jesus, this ultimate picture of what God is like, and he comes as a baby, and he lives as a man. He lives 33 years as a humble Galilean peasant. His life ends by going to the cross, being rejected, being betrayed by all of his closest family and friends and those who he came to love and know and save. And there's something beautiful about the Christmas story where it speaks right into the human experience. I was struck by something this year uh, heading into the Christmas season. Probably more than ever, when I would ask people, are you looking forward to Christmas? The answer was no. No, I'm not. And when I asked why, it was because there was brokenness. Uh, There was brokenness in their family. There was brokenness in their life. For some, it was the first Christmas they were celebrating without one of their parents. Uh, For others, there's strife between family members. There's hurt. There's pain. There's longing. There's discontentedness. There's this reality that, yes, Christmas might be be good, but it's not going to actually save me from the pain and the brokenness that I experience every single day. Christmas tends to overpromise and underdeliver, right? I, I joked about this a few weeks ago in a sermon I preached on Sunday, but I walked into Starbucks and they have their Christmas menu up. And, and the Christmas menu has all their Christmas drinks. And at the top of the menu, it says that, it just says these two words, comfort and joy. If you drink a peppermint mocha latte, you will experience comfort and joy. That's really what Christmas is trying to sell us. But it's not going to fix us. But the Christmas story, the reality of Jesus coming as a baby, the reality of Jesus experiencing all the pain that you've experienced, all the hurt that you've experienced, him coming in the flesh, God coming in the flesh, experiencing betrayal, experiencing family members who rejected him, experiencing loss, experiencing temptation, experiencing brokenness. It actually speaks into the human experience. So there's this sense in which we have this longing for something that will, it will cure the brokenness, the ailing of our heart, And we go everywhere else except for the one thing that can satisfy us, which is Jesus. And the Christmas story is saying Jesus wants you to know him. We we have this... We have this problem where we want the awe and wonder of Christmas without the source of the awe and wonder of Christmas. Tim Keller, in his book... Hidden Christmas says this, the Christian story of Christmas, therefore, is the most unsentimental, realistic way of looking at life. It does not say, cheer up. If we all pull together, we can make the world a better place. The Bible never counsels indifference to the forces of darkness, only resistance. But it also supports no illusions that we can defeat them ourselves. Christianity does not agree with the optimistic thinkers who say we can fix things if we try hard enough, nor does it agree with the pessimists who see only a dystopian future. The message of Christianity is instead, things really are this bad, and we can't heal or save ourselves. 
things really are this dark, nevertheless, there is hope. Uh, The Christmas message is that those living in the land of deep darkness, on those living in the land of deep darkness, a light is dawned. Notice that it doesn't say from the world a light has sprung, but upon the world a light has dawned. It, does, it has come from the outside. There is light outside of this world, and Jesus has brought that light to save us. Indeed, he is the light. Christmas and the coming of Jesus mean that God, uh, God went to infinite lengths to make himself one whom we can know personally. So there's this reality that the Christmas story is not just tradition, it's not just sentimentality, but it's God wanting us to have relationship with him, God wanting us to know him, God wanting us to know that there is a God out there who made us, loves us, knows us, and has experienced everything that we have gone through, that when you pray, he hears and understands. So what do we do with this? Well, the interesting thing about the Christmas story, the way it's laid out in the New Testament and the gospel accounts, is that most of the story is actually dealing with the response of people to the news that they have heard. They hear the story of the birth of Jesus, and then the the story is actually most of the time giving us their response. And so at the very end of Luke chapter 2, which is the very end of the Christmas account in the gospel of Luke, this is what Luke writes, starting in verse 16. He says, So they, meaning the shepherds, hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told to them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. What are these four verses all about? They're about response. Uh, They're about the response of the shepherds. They're about the response of those who heard what the shepherds had to say. But I want you to hone in on one specific response, Mary's response. Look at what it says in verse 19. It says, but Mary treasured up these things and pondered them in her heart. Mary literally had a firsthand experience with the Christmas story. She, She saw it. She experienced it in the most personal and real way. And what was her response to what took place? It was to treasure these things up and ponder them in her heart. Those two phrases literally mean to think on or to savor. In other words, she stewed on these things. She marinated on them. She sat with them for a little while. She wrestled with them. She didn't just pass them by like six or seven weeks in a calendar event and then get on to the next thing. But she stayed with them. She wrestled with their implications, and it was a deep wrestle. So what does that mean for us? What what does that mean for us and how we interact with the Christmas story? Well, I think it begs a question. It really just begs one question. What is our response? Or to make it more personal, what is your response? You see, the reality is, is it doesn't matter if this is the first time you are ever in a church gathering or you've been a part of West Village for a long time or you've been in church forever. The invitation is the same. It's to respond to Jesus. It's to do what Mary did, which is to 
to treasure up these things and ponder them in our hearts. Friends, you, you have to understand something about what is being said to us through this event. God is offering us the solution to our problems. Vaclav Havel, who was the first president of the Czech Republic after they came out of communism, so he saw a nation that both tried to uh, achieve utopia through communism, but then also through democracy, said this. And I think it's a good word for us, although heavy for Christmas Eve. He said, pursuit of the good life will not help humanity save itself. Nor is democracy alone enough. A turning to and seeking of God is needed. Why? Because the human race constantly forgets that he is not God. Why do we think that 24 hours in matching sweaters will save us? Because we want to look anywhere but God. If anything, that just points to the ridiculousness that is the human heart. God offers us himself and we trade him for fake trees and matching sweaters. Solomon, who wrote the book of Ecclesiastes, said this, God has set eternity on the hearts of men. In other words, our hearts long. They long for things. They long for transcendence. They long for meaning. They long for satisfaction. Why? Because we know that there's something in here that is not right. And we will continue to seek and seek and look and look to all sorts of things. We will look to Christmas. We will look to empty religious practice. We will look to money. We will look to stuff. We will look and we will look and we will look. But until we recognize that it is God who we need because we are not God, we will continue to come up empty. And the Christmas story speaks right into the human experience. One of the great themes that the Bible uses to describe what is taking place at the birth of Jesus is the theme of light and dark. Oh, we've been singing about it. We're going to continue to sing more about it in just a moment. But it's this picture that God, who is the light, enters into the darkness, which is us. And the darkness rejects the light. In John chapter 1, Uh, John, describing Jesus, calls him the light of the world and says the darkness rejects the light. But there's this beautiful reality in which God's not content to just let us reject him. He continues to press. He continues to pursue. He he continues to come. And, And if you know the story of the life of Jesus, the story of Jesus ends with him going to the cross. And on the cross, there's again this imagery of light and darkness where Jesus goes to the cross And he dies this death that he doesn't deserve, being rejected by those he came to love, those he came to serve. And we get this picture of the light, the light of God actually becoming the darkness. 
He actually consumes all the darkness of the world. It gets heaped onto his shoulders, and he becomes the darkness. All the, the unmet expectations, all the brokenness, all the longings, all the things that you and I want, all the things that we look out in the world and we see, we know it's not right, they get placed squarely on the shoulders of Jesus as he allows darkness to come over him. And then, if you're, again, if you're familiar with the story, you'll know that after Jesus goes into the grave, three days later, he rises from the death. And again, what, what do these things even matter? What's the significance? God's telling us that through him, through Jesus, darkness can be overcome. God, who is the light, defeated the darkness. What are you looking for? I know I'm, you know, I've got an invested interest in this answer. I might be a little biased, but I will tell you, you're looking for Jesus. You're looking for Jesus. You will get a bigger house. You will get more stuff. You will get more and more and more, and you will still be longing until you find Jesus. That's the Christmas story. That God has made himself available to us. The God of the universe has entered into the darkness that is our world and made himself available to us. And so what is our response? It's to do what Mary did. To treasure these things up and ponder them in our hearts. That's what God would have for us this Christmas, that we would treasure up Jesus and ponder him in our hearts. Will you do that? Let me pray for us. Jesus, we thank you, Lord. We thank you that in your kindness you have not left us, in your kindness, you have pursued us. I mean, if anyone in here is anything like me, I, I have not, my life has not been one of searching for and seeking after God. It has been one of ignorance, not pursuing you, not loving you, and yet you found me. That's the picture of Christmas a world that wasn't looking for you and yet you pursued, a world that wasn't loving you and yet you pursued, a world that is full of darkness and yet the light of the world enters in. What a picture of grace. What a picture of love. What a picture of mercy. And God, in a very real way in this moment, you are saying to us, I want you. I want you. This moment right now, us sitting here hearing this, this is your pursuit of us. To hear this maybe for the first time or maybe for some of us, it's the 10,000th time, but today the season is hard. And to hear that there's one who wants us feels so good. Would you allow us, Lord, 
to treasure these things, to press them deep into our hearts. And Spirit, would you allow those things to come alive and change and transform us to know that, that God, you love us. That we wouldn't just move from this season into whatever the next season is that the calendar is going to throw at us, but we would sit here in this moment with you, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.